welcome back to Kohelet, a podcast brought to you by the elders of Maricopa Springs Family Church. In this podcast, our goal is to bring you teachings from the Bible on Christian theology. This week, we're diving into chapter 28 of Systematic Theology by Dr. Wayne Grudem, and this chapter is focusing on resurrection and ascension. So let's get started. So much like many of Dr. Grudem's chapters, they start with a few questions that we're going to attempt to answer throughout this chapter. So the first question is going to be, what was Christ's resurrection body like? Second question is, what is its significance for us? The third question, what happened to Christ when he ascended into heaven? And then also one that we'll touch just a little on is what is meant by the states of Jesus Christ. So first, let's start with a discussion of the resurrection. So before we can get into the discussion of the resurrection, let's talk a bit about the evidence for the resurrection and specifically some New Testament evidence. The idea of somebody resurrecting from the dead uh, can be a, a bit hard to believe, but when we look at the New Testament, we see that um, the resurrection story is, ex- er, is specifically mentioned in all four Gospels, and that story is described extensively. On top of that, the book of Acts details the proclamation of the resurrection and the continued trust and prayer in Jesus as one who is alive. So Acts has trust and prayer in Jesus as if Jesus is alive, which would be a thing if the resurrection happened. The epistles also in the New Testament, they depend entirely on Christ being alive and the reigning Savior. So they depend entirely on Christ being alive and being the reigning Savior. And then when we get to Revelation, it shows the risen Christ and that he is reigning in heaven and that he's conquering his enemies. So we have the resurrection story in all four of the Gospels. We have Acts declaring uh, or detailing the proclamation of the resurrection and continued trust and prayer in Jesus. The epistles depending entirely on Christ being alive and Revelation showing the risen Christ reigning in heaven and conquering enemies. So there are many examples uh, in the New Testament, and there's also many examples of evidence outside of the New Testament. Um, And if you're interested in some of those, the book shows a lot of, uh, uh, or has a lot of references to different books that explain these. Some of those book titles are Evidence That Demands a Verdict, The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus, and many more. So now that we've talked a bit about the New Testament evidence for the resurrection, let's talk a little bit about the nature of Christ's resurrection. And that nature is a physical body that was made perfect. So when Jesus returned, his new body no longer uh, aged at all or was weak or was subject to death. So that's when he returned from the, the grave, when he was resurrected, his body no longer aged or was weak or was subject to any death. And Although we do see some things like the the disciples not recognizing him, uh, their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and then they were opened. So you can see a story of that in uh, Luke 24, verses 13 through 32. Because there also were others that recognized him right away, such as in John 20, verses 19 through 20. 
And this indicates a considerable continuity between the physical appearance of Jesus before his death and after his resurrection. And that's just a, a complex way of saying that Jesus looked pretty close to the same um, uh, before death and after death. And even though some of his disciples might not have recognized him, it, the text basically talks about how their eyes were uh, uh, were closed, they were hidden from seeing who uh, Jesus truly was until it was just revealed to them. Okay, and, and the other point of this is that Jesus had a physical body, and we know that because the text mentioned uh, that the disciples were touching him, uh, that he was eating things, and, and even though sometimes we, we hear or we think that, um, that he passed through walls and was spirit-like, there really actually is no evidence that he wasn't in a fully physical body when we read the accounts of the disciples touching him um, and, and those sorts of things. And then another uh, kind of important, another important uh, quick note on the resurrection in this uh areas as far as explaining the resurrection is that both the father and the son participated in the resurrection. It wasn't just the father and it wasn't just the son. It wasn't just God and, and, and Jesus, but both of them participated. And we get that from um, uh, Jesus saying in, in uh, John chapter 11, verse 25, that he's the resurrection and the life. The resurrection that would, uh, yeah, the resurrection and the life. So let's, let's focus a bit on the doctrinal significance of the resurrection or why the resurrection is really important. Um, so first off, the uh, Christ's resurrection affirms the goodness of material creation. So if we go all the way back to the Old Testament, we see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, uh, that God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. So God saw everything, and he said, this is good. This is very good. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 13, it says that the new heavens, it, 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 it talks about the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so when we talk about the goodness of material creation, we also know that we will forever, uh, we will be forever in new bodies of material, right? physical bodies, much like Christ was. Uh, and this body was made in a new and perfect material. And this just affirms that when God made the material world, he really did see all of it as good. Okay, he's at the resurrection, we will be resurrected into physical bodies that are perfect, and they will be good. So another doctrinal significance of the resurrection is that Christ's resurrection ensures our regeneration. Christ's resurrection ensures our regeneration. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So that verse connects Jesus' resurrection with our regeneration, that we're born again to a living hope, our regeneration through Jesus' resurrection. 
So now we don't receive all of that resurrection life right away. And what I mean by that is that uh, our physical bodies are still weak, right? We still age, we're, we still get broken, uh, our physical bodies will still die. However, our spirits are made alive with the new resurrection power. Our spirits are made alive with the new resurrection power. And we get, we get that from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. And in Ephesians 1, 19 through 20, Paul explains that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is what is at work within us. And it's giving us the power to gain more and more victory over sin. So that power, the same power that we talk about that resurrected Jesus, that power is what is at work at us consistently. As we are becoming more and more like Christ, that sanctification process, that's, that is the power, the resurrection power, that is growing us to be more like Jesus and giving us more and more victory over sin. And this same power is the power for ministry. It gives us the power for ministry in the work of the kingdom. So we are given power, this, we, we, the same power that, was, that raised Jesus from the dead that's at work in us is what gives us the power of ministry for, for doing God's work on earth, bringing his kingdom. Okay. Another important point is that Christ's resurrection ensures our justification. Christ's work, or Christ's resurrection ensures our justification. And we see that in quite a few places. And a lot of these different points that I'm bringing up, I'm only giving a small amount of verses. Uh, and, and I know that I've mentioned this quite a bit, and I know that Grady and Leonard and Gabe have also mentioned this in the, in the chapters that they've done a, a podcast episode on. But Grudem has a plethora of verses for all of these points. We're basically summarizing these points, but I think it's important for, for anybody listening to go out and get uh, Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. We're looking at the second edition in this uh, podcast series. But uh, go through it, and, and you can see, if you're ever like, that doesn't seem like a really strong verse. I might have just picked a verse that doesn't relate that closely with you, um, but Grudem has quite a few, so I really encourage you to go and, and see the defense for some of these points. But when we talk about Christ's resurrection that ensures our justification, one of the verses that, that Grudem points out is Romans chapter 4, verse 25. It says that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So in this, God has declared approval of Christ. In the resurrection, he's declared approval of Christ and the work that Christ did, being a sacrificial lamb for our sins. And in turn, the work is now completed. The payment for the sins are now completed. And we 
are justified. Through Christ's resurrection, God has declared his approval and the work is completed and we are justified. And then the final point that we're going to bring up for the doctrinal significance of the resurrection is that Christ's resurrection ensures that we will receive perfect resurrection bodies uh, as well when it comes to uh, uh, the end times, the stuff that Revelation uh, talks about, Judgment Day. When we're raised again, we will receive perfect resurrection bodies. And we get that um, in a few different places. Again, Grudem has a lot of different verses for this. Uh, one of them is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. It calls Jesus uh, the first fruits. Um, and, and in that, it's notion that we're able to be raised up and given perfect bodies. So Jesus was the first fruit uh, in agriculture. That's like the first taste of the ripened uh, uh, crop. And, and so if Jesus is the first fruit, the first taste of the ripened crop, then we can assume that the, the rest of the crop, which is us, uh, will also be ripened in such perfect body as that. And there is a, a caveat here, right? So we, when we see Jesus after the resurrection and he's visiting the disciples, um, you know, we, we have the story of poor, poor Thomas, also known as Doubting Thomas for all eternity, it seems, uh, that he put... Uh, that, he, you know, he touched the scars that were on Jesus. And so there might be this idea that, like, you know, well, if we have really bad scars, will those be present in our perfected body? Um, and that's not that's not really the case here. Um, Grudem points out that, that the idea of the scars from the cross uh, have such significance uh, in truth and in our justification and in our uh, uh, eternal lives and just the Christian life that uh, those, those scars aren't there on Jesus's perfected body because of, because they were just, let's say, too terrible uh, of scars to get rid of, or they were too um, uh, 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 deep, um, you know, really bad scars or whatnot. Obviously, the, the, the nail, the scars of the nails um, and, and, um, and all of that have massive significance for us. They're a sign of our justification, um, our, the atonement of our sins. And so we don't, we don't have to worry about like, you know, I've got a few really bad scars on me. Are those going to be there in the resurrection? Probably not. No, you're not even probably, they're not going to be there. You will have a perfected body. Okay. So then, um, another point in the resurrection uh, that we want to talk about is what are some of the ethical significances of the resurrection? And Grudem breaks down three ethical significances that, uh, that fall on us now because of the resurrection of Jesus. As Christians, as uh, those who are atoned of our sins, justified um, and being sanctified by Jesus, uh, we do have some uh, liabilities here. We have some ethical calls here. Um, and one of them, the, the first one, is that we should continue to work steadfastly in God's work because we know there's an eternal significance in what we do. Because Jesus was resurrected and because the work was completed in him, the, the atoning of our sins and the justification that's now poured, poured forth, uh, we have an ethical responsibility 
a moral responsibility, a Christian responsibility to continue the work uh, because there is an eternal significance. Uh, every person that we share Jesus with, if, if God so chooses, uh, or if God has so chosen them to be part of the fold, then that work has eternal significance because it is bringing others under that, that umbrella of justification from, uh, from the resurrection. So that is definitely one of our one of the ethical significances. Another one comes from Colossians chapter three verses one through four, and that's that we should focus on our future heavenly reward as our goal. We should focus on our future heavenly reward as our goal. And then also we know so for the third ethical uh, significance, our our obligation in this is that we have an obligation to stop yielding to sin in our lives. We have power, that resurrection power that has made us a new creation, that same resurrection power that is sanctifying us, that is growing us, that is helping us to be more like Jesus. That power is more powerful than the sin that's in your life. What Christian looks at the sin and goes, I know, I know that the power that's living in me that scripture talks about, the power that's living in me that's helping me uh, become more like Christ, that process of what we call sanctification, what, what Christian know, thinks about that power and goes, well, it's not powerful enough to stop me from doing this sin or this uh, uh, temptation is too overwhelming for the power of Jesus to overcome. If you've had that thought, snuff that thought out. That, that thought is not true. The power of the resurrection that dwells inside of you is more is, is stronger than any power that sin has. So we have an obligation to stop yielding to the sin in our lives by God's power. Okay? So the final section that we're going to talk about, a final air, uh, portion of this, is just the ascension into heaven. So Christ's ascension into heaven. So what we know, uh, first off, and, and I think is an important thing to, to mention here, is that Christ ascended to a place. He didn't just disappear, right? We see that first Jesus was on earth for 40 days after his resurrection, and then Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 talk about how he ascended into the heavens in front of the disciples. The disciples saw him ascend. That He didn't just dematerialize. He didn't just turn into mist and whisk away, but he physically ascended into heaven. Uh, and and what, what's significant about that um, is that it really does give uh, a notion that heaven is a location, Okay, um, and it's where Christ is dwelling in his physical body, right? Like his physical body didn't just drop. He still has a physicality to him. And so that ascension is to a place where heaven is at. I, I don't know. We don't really know exactly, um, but we do know that it is a physical place. Okay, and on top of that, after he ascended, the angels said that he would come back in the same way. And we see that in Revelation, right? That Jesus uh, uh, comes down to judge the earth from his throne. Uh, another thing from the ascension into heaven is that Christ, um, uh, at that point, had at, at, after the ascension, received glory and honor that had not been 
uh, his before as the God-man, as Jesus walking around the earth. And we get that from, uh, we see that in Revelation chapter 5, verses 12, where it says that Jesus is now in heaven with angelic choirs singing praise to him. Another aspect of the ascension is where did Jesus go when he ascended into heaven? Uh, Jesus is now uh, seated at God's right hand. And we, we hear actually a little bit of that in the Old Testament when David wrote Psalm 110. In verse 1 it says that the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Also in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Jesus sat at the right hand of God. And Jesus sitting at that right hand is, is a dramatic, one of the parts of it is that it's a dramatic indication of the completion of Christ's work of redemption. So, so Jesus has completed his work of redemption in our lives from the resurrection. He atoned for our sins, we were justified, and he was resurrected, and God showed approval for for Christ's work in atonement, and through that and the ascension, the, the work of redemption is done. And Christ's ascension also has doctrinal, sorry, doctrinal significance for our lives. A couple real quick things to touch on is Christ's ascension foreshadows our future ascension into heaven, that first fruits right? That perfected body, and then he ascended into heaven. That's foreshadowing our future ascension into heaven. And with that, another point is that Christ's ascension, it gives us assurance that our final home will be in heaven with him. It won't be in the abyss. As Christians, we, we won't just disappear. We won't be put into, we won't be sent to eternal damnation where we'll suffer Right, the, the atheist, the agnostic, and, and others who don't believe in Christ, they have this idea and notion of us either just being raw material that's recycled in the, the, the earth or in the, the, the universe or whatever, or others that you know basically say that we're going to come back and have a different life or something. No, we're not going to be subject to any of that, any of, the, any of that terrible lies and, and, and untruths, uh, our final home will be in heaven with him after this life as, as new creations justified through Christ. And because of our union with Christ, being of the first fruits, being justified by being redeemed, that, that work of redemption being completed, because of that union, we now share in Christ's authority over the universe. Okay, and part of that, uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it talks about us doing battle with weapons that have def divine power. That divine power from Christ, the same power of the resurrection, that divine power from Christ to destroy strongholds. And what strongholds? We can look to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, that we will destroy strongholds against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Let that be an encouragement to you. The, the power of the resurrection is alive in you today. It's giving you the power 
to slay the sin that is in your life. It is more powerful than any of that, giving you the power to stop yielding to sin, to, to conquer that sin, to slay that sin in your life. And it's the divine power to destroy strongholds against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So I pray that this is encouraging to you, that you can recognize the importance and the significance of what Christ did on the cross, why the resurrection was so important, and what the ascension into heaven from Christ means for us and for the, the future, our future with God in heaven forever. So thank you, and I look forward to getting together again for another chapter. Thank you.